Hi, I'm Dubba, I'm the director of Music Tech Fest, and this is the MTF podcast. When MTF moved its base from the UK to Sweden a few years ago, we worked closely with what has now become RISE, the Research Institute of Sweden. That's where I first met Annette Novak, who was the National Research Agency's CEO for five years. She's now the Director General of the Swedish Media Council, the governmental agency in charge of empowering children and youth to navigate an increasingly complex media landscape, both online and off. That organization's role says a lot, not only about the changing nature of media in general, but also about Sweden itself. I met up with Annette over coffee in her office at the Film Institute in Stockholm and had what was, for me, a fascinating and in-depth conversation. We talked about why Sweden has zero censorship, none at all, how technologies like facial recognition, AI and immersive games raise ethical rather than moral questions, and the sheer degree of high-level research that goes into fostering a healthy, curious and literate society. Hope you enjoy. Annette, you're the Director General of the Swedish Media Council. What does that mean? Uh, that means that I, um, I lead a national authority or agency in, um, who has the government's instruction to um, empower uh, young people and children uh, when it comes to um, giving them the tools and the perspectives, the awareness to be able to navigate a more and more complex media landscape. Uh, we also were supposed to protect, which is a more difficult term, I would say, and something that we have a um, difficult relation to that term. But we, we do that through the um, assessment of films, where we give um, we put age limits to on films, which is, I would say, it's the remnant of what used to be the Swedish censorship. But there's no more censorship, but there is a, at least this... Uh, proactive uh, sifting of uh, not wanting to expose uh, the really young children to the very violent content. <laughs> okay, so there's a lot to unpack there, but um, what I'm really interested in is, is your journey because this is this is not a, a logical next step in your career because your background is research and innovation, and and how do those things? Do you want to? I mean, talk a little bit sure. about what you were doing before you, sure. you did this. So I'm a journalist as. Um, from background and training and uh, my whole career has been within digital transformation I would say well mainly the last 10-15 years of my operative career within media was within digital transformation which uh, led me to um, um, dig deeper and deeper into what drives innovation uh, what blocks organizations and industries from wanting to innovate from wanting to transform um, and um, and then eventually I was headhunted to this position as CEO of um, the Research Institute Rice Interactive, which works with um, applied ICT and design research. And uh, that was also a kind of a sidestep from what I had been doing, but I saw media as one of the application areas in, in which you could um, uh, apply these um, experimental theories or whatever it's not even theories it's like we build things uh, very much like you do to to try and understand what what happens when we try and build this and and how can we incorporate that into daily activity so uh, yeah so as from there um i was also uh, parallelly working with the governmental inquiry into the media landscape so uh, my my uh, relationship to working for the government started there and uh, so i was assigned by the minister of culture to do this um, big um, um, inquiry, uh, which I did for almost two years, and um, having left that, um, 
I, um, one of the major conclusions of that work was with all that's going on in the media landscape, um, hate, um, algorithms that filter our realities so we don't no longer have the same picture of reality, um, we need, the only thing that would sustainably address this is education. <laughs> and then, so I, I wrote in that conclusion that we need a massive national um, movement towards uh, strengthening media and information literacy in the Swedish population. And since that was part of my conclusions, when the, I got the question if I wanted to do this, and this is operation, doing op op operationalization of that suggestion, it's like, okay, what if you would do it? How would you do it? Here, you have an agency. Think about how you would do it. So you're having uh, to implement your own recommendations. That's where I am now. Not really doing my own recommendations, but we got a special assignment also at the same time as I started, which was how can, how can we find a methodology uh, that would uh, strengthen the coordination of Because many people are into this area, but it's not coordinated. So we have, there, is a, there has been a, um, a, a huge work done into looking into what's going on within media and information literacy in Sweden. And from there, we can just withdraw that it's very fragmented and therefore not as strong as it could be if it was more coordinated. And we got the, the, the assignment to try and see, is there any way we could play a, a role in coordinating this in a way so that we could make this happen much faster because the need is out there and everybody has seen it now. So to me, it's not a, that much, back to your question, not that much of a side move, but actually a very logic uh, from the inquiry's conclusions uh, where they said, okay, you talked about it in theory, we saw the need, uh, let's do it, <laughs> but how should we do it? Because hmm. uh, it's not an easy task, of course. What does media mean in the context of the Swedish Media Council? Obviously, there's, a, uh, there's film ratings and that, but media... In my head, is you know, it's VR, it's AR, it's games, it's music, yeah, it's radio, it's, it's you know, it's very do, wide. Do you does that encapsulate everything within the Swedish Media Council? I would say that we're, we're I mean, I started two months ago, so uh, one of my first, of course, uh, <laughs> discoveries is that uh, a lot of the legislation that we depend on or that frame our work is is very limited to the old legislation, uh, and and Swedish media legislation is very. Uh, channel-oriented, very technically bound, which is the case, I think, in many European countries. And we need to get, that was also a conclusion from the media inquiry, that we need to um, release ourselves from that, from those boundaries and become like technical, technologically agnostic so that we can start talking about the effects of media on relationships and, I don't know, realities and, <laughs> and uh, the social contract uh, instead of just being blocked into how do we transmit television programs <laughs> to the audience. That's, that's not interesting anymore uh, and less and less. But I think the legislator is, is um, uh, lagging behind, mm. uh, unfortunately. This notion of media effects is really interesting. It's been really controversial since the 1940s, you know, the, sort sure. of the Lazarsfeld stuff and all that. Yep. And, you know, is there this kind of uh, perception within Sweden, particularly, that if you show people violent things, they become violent themselves? Or is it a more sophisticated than that? Well, there's no, I would say, if you go to science, I mean, we have scientists uh, looking at these things. There's no evidence of what you just said. There's no evidence that says that there is a causality between those things. Mm. We know that that um, 
you can see that there's a relationship between, but there's no um, research that has shown that if you look at violent programs, you become violent. We know that there is a higher degree of violent people playing violent games, but we don't know why, if, if it works both ways. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's, the, the, that, there's no proof of that, mm. I would say. And all. presumably, I mean, you said protecting young children particularly, presumably that's more to do with trauma than... Um, we, the, the way we in practice have interpreted this, and, and I should be really careful now because I've only been here eight weeks and, and these are people who have been working with this for de decades, so I mustn't say anything that they would say this is wrong. But I think that Sweden very much so is not, uh, some countries in the world uh, bring in morality into this uh, and, and Sweden has definitely not done that. Uh, we, we, we know that there are extreme extremely violent scenes can hurt children under certain ages, even if they just see them once. Uh, others, it, it's, a, it's a question of how repetitive it is. Like, for instance, if we would say, take the image of the very thin woman. Uh, that doesn't hurt a child if it sees it once, but if a young woman has seen only those images for a very long time during her whole childhood, it will skew her image of what is normal. So it's a very, it's not as binary, it's very uh, many nuances to this discussion, but in, if I should say anything short about it, Sweden, um, uh, of course, wishes to, to, to protect children from damage, from damage uh, as we should as parents and... and um, uh, caretakers or whatever you want to call it that we want to take care of our younger generations without stifling any freedom that they might have and this is uh, a very difficult balance mm. uh, to to not blocking them from having uh, access to information which is uh, access to information legislation is part of Swedish uh, constitution since the 18th century <laughs> so it's extremely important to to weigh those against each other and I think that we are rather unique in the world with the no other Nordic countries to not bring in morality questions into this. We show a lot of nudi nudity even into younger children. We don't see that as problematic. It's mm -hmm. natural how people look. It's something and what people do when they're naked. It's not something that we put any... any uh, um, it's, it's about parental guidance, of course, and uh, that's why we, we have... There's been a new... Um, Twitch to the Swedish legislation recently, where we say we can take, we can put a lower age limit, but then say then together with your parent, in in order to also say that this is not the state shouldn't enter into this discussion that much. It's more about maybe a child. It's very individual also how a child. In, it's about what the child, uh, the child's capacity and 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 what it has uh, experienced personally that will make it very difficult to say something general about how a certain movie scene mm -hmm. will affect a certain person. But a parent has definitely a, a role to play in catching any thoughts or, or debriefing or reactions that might uh, occur. Are you distinguishing morality from uh, ethics? Uh, for instance, uh, if you talk about social media, as we, we mm -hmm. did before we started this conversation, mm -hmm. about the idea of uh, forming sort of ethical parameters within which people can do things with uh, with you know, personal information and, and those sorts of things. So there's there's no morality dimension to, to the switch legislation, but is there an ethical dimension to it? Um, I I would say that I mean, first of all, uh, I'm. It's important to say that I'm a non-political uh, civil servant here, so I can I can tell you how the Swedish legislation looks like, and and one aspect that we do have is of course that there is an ethical. Um, scientific ethical uh, committee that that if if there's anything that should be weighed ethically that the researcher considers could have an ethical 
um, challenges to it. It, it needs to pass uh, that type of scrutiny before you're allowed to start, which, of course, in certain in innovative, in certain, I would say, uh, academic disciplines, like let's take design, uh, it is difficult because um, part of it is actually doing something new that hasn't happened before. So it's it is it's a kind of catch-22 situation sometimes, like doing design within, let's say, patient uh, patient experience within an actual uh, environment makes it very difficult when you have that type of, of um, framework. <clears throat> another um, another um, um, part of that is, of course, that we have we're part of European Union, and the Swedish position at the moment is very much that uh, one wants to work together with European partners uh, in order not to in all. I mean, if you want to keep Europe together. Uh, it's very important that that uh, is not always drawn apart in each uh, question that we deal with. And that's been the, the, the current, or the, the past, now we're waiting for a new government, but the past um, government's position has been very much so that we, we act within the European Union in these questions. So GDPR, of course, is one of the, one of the legislations coming out of this type of discussion, and uh, where the intent of the legislator, of course, is to strengthen the user's uh, control and awareness. Now one, one can of course have a lot of uh, views on, on such a young legislation and how it will be uh, uh, interpreted. We don't really know yet. There has been no uh, no uh, rulings that would be guiding us to understand how they will um, how it will be interpreted by the courts. But I think that the the movement, of course, as I mean, if we look at from our agency's point of view, where where about the empowerment of the user, uh, of course, any legislation that will assist the user in giving them the mandate to be, be how can I say, more aware of how they, as media users, can be exploited and what they can do about it. It's, it's moving in the right direction. You talked before about media literacy being very important, and particularly around education. And, and I know most legislators internationally, when they talk about media literacy, they, they mean the ability to read. Um, and not necessarily the ability to write. Um, and so this idea of literacy I find really interesting because this, uh, the, the way in which we communicate, the way in which we use these tools not just to take in information mm -hmm. but to express ourselves I think is very important. And the maturity of a media format is the extent to which you start to get a literature in that. Are, are we seeing any new literatures coming in, in new media? Um, I, it's, it's a really good question, but I would say that... Um Media information literacy is an extremely wide area and it's widening as we speak because it's it's also about digital contents. It's about understanding power, power logics, business logics within the digital landscape. Um, it's about understanding uh, how technology can skew um, uh, perceptions, can skew uh, what your perception of reality is or your perception of a material. In Sweden, we talk a lot about the, the extended... Um, definition of reading, where reading today is also understanding a picture or the movie, uh, meeting the movie and the moving pictures and, and many, many, many things more. It's the gaming world and, and, and the immersive worlds uh, that, that the children meet, or even, even us, of course, as adults. So, so media and information literacy, to me, it's, um, it's more, um, it's, it's an area which has a lot of traction at the moment. A lot of the people who are in, I would say, the debate uh, don't understand how wide it is. Um, uh, they, a lot of, um, I think, teachers and librarians that I meet, they talk a lot about source criticism, which is good, 
but source criticism in their interpretation is very uh, much leaning towards the old media landscape. Uh, source criticism today uh, means that you have to understand that the certain data sources are uh, owned by big conglomerates, uh, that um, um, the data you see is been filtered in a way that you don't understand and you don't know, and it has business logics in it. Uh, one talks a lot about um, that the platform companies, they give you the user experience that you want, but you don't make informed choices. It's something that you don't, you, you, there's no transparency into the, how the algorithms work. All these things are something that a, a aware media consumer needs to, to um, learn. Uh, and if you don't know, and if you don't learn these things, you, um, you cannot be, I would claim that you will not be able to, to exercise your, your citizenship. You, you can easily become um, a useful idiot of someone. And I think, unfortunately, that uh, some of the forces that, that is moving the world at the moment is way ahead of, of um, the democratic forces who want the citizens to be empowered in this sense. Um, they're making a lot of money on it. <laughs> mm. and, and, of course, that's why it's important that, that we that represent democratic states and they're in those positions, we want to guard um, the, the, the common good, if I, if I may say so. It's a big word, but still, some kind of idea of we are doing this for you guys. Uh, we want to have expertise so that we can try and make, you, make uh, you understand what you need to, to learn. Is there a potential for that to impede innovation in any particular way? I mean, are there things that aren't being developed because there is this kind of caution about effects or, or those sorts of things, or, or that's not your experience? Um, I think that uh, I think that there are some of the technologies that that uh, are being invented as we speak, and and um, I think what you you might find a good example is the facial technology, uh, facial recognition technologies, and and for instance in that um, sphere, the the companies in the occidental world uh, they they face of course the dis directly as soon as they show what they can do, they will face a debate on is that good, <laughs> is should we do that. And on the ethical committees and all that, which of course stalls or at least um, uh, reduces the speed of, of our innovation capacity, where where the states that only see the what can be what it can be used for, and they don't have any ethical uh, um, argumentation because that doesn't enter into their their um, world picture, they will they will fund those companies very strongly and just let them move ahead very and and of course then block the technology within the state mm. uh, so they will technology wise they will win and I would say that they are winning the race at the moment because of this uh, however I think that in the long run I don't believe that that um, I always believe that uh, that um, um, love will conquer hate and that uh, freedom will conquer control in the long run but I think short in, within the short term that we can overlook at the moment, the, the negative forces, the anti-democratic forces using technology against the populations are winning at the moment. Democracy is losing the battle, but you don't the think moment. the war? Uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. The, the little battles yeah, at the moment. But I think the war, the war is about the f citizenship and freedom, and, and that is stronger forces in the long run. Mm. And, and technology, I think also that democracy the, the the democratic powers are uh, stronger and uh, but they've been behind in this because they haven't seen how they can exploit this and they're not organized together 
because that's part of democracy. It should be fragmented. There should be lots of different ways of seeing things. And, and freedom is also, freedom of speech makes those voices very fragmented, whereas the, the, the anti-democratic forces are, have been able to organize themselves and thus uh, they have moved ahead for a while. Mm. Mm. Um, this whole area of um, media and technology and you know content, if you like, and, and uh, literacy and that, it touches on art, it touches on science, it touches on policy, industry, uh, you know, um, Design. research, all of these things. Yeah. How well do those things work together or, or are you having different types of conversations in different spheres? Mm, that's an excellent uh, question. I think it's about, uh, I think it's, Definitely, you know the answer yourself. It's about we are in silos, and academics, academia is in silos. Governments are in silos, and the, the future is more matrix uh, networked and, and flatter organizations. So there is a challenge here, um, which we have to we have to be able to to um, overbridge if we, go, we have to do something about this. But there's also the, the, the difficulty coming from innovation. In innovation, you don't want to... If you have a research institute which is, uh, let's say, um, uh, focused on AI, they, they want to have deep knowledge on AI. They don't want to use half of their work time to coordinate with others because they might lose... Then they lose a lot of the edge that they have. So there's also, it's not as easy to say, let's change the silos for the matrix and the network. It's much more complicated than that. Uh, but it, it is a, it's a shift in, in, I would say, in world history where we need to understand how we're going to do that, that transformation without losing the speed in the edge of each area. Mm. And, and that each area should be pure in their thinking and still be able to communicate with the others. Um, but I, I believe that media, to go back to your very initiated question on, on media um, definitions, which are not adequate the way they, the legislation is written today, very often attached to the old distribution techniques uh, where we need to find new media definitions, which... Um, um, and media, in, in a sense, also, if you, Mark Deuce says uh, we live in media life, I mean, how can media at all be used, I would say, in, in a future where everything is media, where everything is connected and everything is, is uh, part of the same world? I think that's difficult. But, um, um, yeah, how to, move the, how to move the silos into working together in more, trans, more cross-disciplinary um, means and, and groups, I think that's... We, we have been working in those environments, all of us, I think, and, and um, um, there's a strength in that. There's a tremendous strength in, in moving the thought when you get inspiration from many different areas. Uh, but to, to cre create sustained activities, like, for instance, let's go back to media and information literacy. Um, it's easier to do that in a project organization where you do project and you close it down, you do something else. Uh, when the state has decided that the population needs uh, to lift its understanding within this domain, it's something that has to be sustained over generations. It has to have a structure. And I think that's something that I'm thinking a lot about these days. Like, how can we take the best out of the trans, the cross-disciplinary, um, agile organizations, but still not lose the, the sustained effort and the long-term, the 50-year planning horizons and things like that, that you have to deal with when you deal with uh, population education. 50 years is a long time. You've been doing this 
two months? How will, you, <laughs> how will you know you've done a good job? Um, oh God, that's a very difficult question. I hope that we can that we can um, um, be a facilitator to to create a movement where a lot of actors mo- start moving in the same direction. I don't think that we can. Uh, coordination is not no longer about uh, putting everybody together and synchronizing and becoming efficient. It's about finding ways to 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 create movements where many many different. Uh, from different disciplines, from different agencies, from different um, what not, <laughs> that we actually move in the same direction, that we see the same picture of the success, which is media and information literacy. What is that? What do, what do we need to know in the future in order to not break down the land winnings of democracy? I mean, we are one of the, when it comes to media legislation, I think we have the oldest freedom of expression uh, legislation in the world from 1766. Let's not break that down. How can we, how can we, mold that into the digital uh, current and future without losing what we've gained so far of knowledge because that's what's happened I think in this it's like a bump on that That, that's what I would like to um, be a little part of doing Annette thanks very much for your time (laughs) thank you Annette Novak, Director General of the Swedish Media Council. And that's the MTF podcast. If you have any thoughts about any of this, and that is the whole reason we do this, please do give us a shout. We're Music Tech Fest on Twitter, Music Tech Fest on Facebook, Music Tech Fest on Instagram, and Music Tech Fest on LinkedIn. And I'm Dubba at musictechfest.net if you want to drop me a note and say hi. And of course, if you haven't subscribed, please do. And also, take a moment to send this on to the one person you think should really hear it. We'd really appreciate it, and so will they. All the best, and have a great week. Cheers.